Welcome to a God Shift podcast, where we move you from disruption and delay into a greater destiny, expectancy, and possibility. I'm your host, Shana Rattler, and I'm a minister, author, and sought-after speaker. Join myself and other leaders who unapologetically share their story of when their life collided with God's purpose and put them on the path that was designed for them. You will learn how to bounce back from setbacks, disappointments, and uncertainty, and unlock the door to confidence move into your next chapter. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to A God Shift. I am your host, Shana Rattler. I am so elated that you are here, whether this is your first time or you are a returning listener. I really appreciate you being here at A God Shift. And before we get started in this interview, I would love it if you could do me a favor. I want you to take a screenshot wherever it is that you're listening to this episode. If it's on your laptop, your iPad, your phone, wherever, take a screenshot and post it on your social media. When you do, I want you to number one, tag us here at A God Shift. And then number two, I just want to hear your biggest aha moment or your biggest takeaway from this episode. I do it because, not because I'm really counting the number of downloads. I honestly couldn't tell you how many times that this thing has been downloaded in 104 episodes, I think it is now. But I do want to let people know if they're going through something that there's hope on the other side of that. I do want to bring as many people to Christ as I possibly can. And the more times that these episodes are shared, the better opportunity we all have to fulfill that mission. So thank you so much for being willing to do that. I'm going to read my guest bio and we're going to get started for what I'm sure is going to be another fabulous conversation. My guest today is founder of leadfirst.ai and has been recognized by Leadership Excellence Magazine as one of the top 100 thought leaders in management and leadership. He co-founded and became CEO of Sullivan Software, which grew to more than 400 employees and 50,000 clients around the world. The company was sold to Great Plains Software, which was then acquired by Microsoft. He later established Solomon Cloud Solutions, a technology consulting service firm for Microsoft independent software vendors and Microsoft Business Solutions channel partners. His books have been on the best-selling list of the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and Business Week. I want to welcome to the show, Gary Harst. Thank you, Shana. I'm really looking forward to this. Man, me too. You've done some great stuff. I mean, it for anybody to go and build a business that ultimately gets acquired by Microsoft is quite a feather to stick in your cap, my friend. Well, so, God, God has took us on a journey that we never expected. So uh, oh, all, all, all credit those, to him. Yes. Aren't those the best stories? Amen to that. Yep. And even even uh, our interview today, I'm I'm uh, in my fifth decade as a CEO, and I thought I might be slowing down by now. But God says, no, it, it's time to step it up. You know, I want to I want to unpack that. But before we do, I want to define a God shift, because most often when people hear the name of my platforms, they think they think it sounds really nifty. But most people are like, but I have no idea what that is. So I want to start by defining a God shift. Gary, my definition of a God shift is the moment a disruption in your life collides with God's purpose and it moves you into greater dimensions of possibility, because I believe that God uses unexpected circumstances. He uses trials. He uses disruptions to get our attention. But once he has our attention, 
that's when he can really invite us into the path that he has planned for us. But what I love about what you just shared is something that I often like to highlight. Disruption is not always negative. We think that because we experience a trial, that we experience disruption, that we have something unexpected come into our lives, it's always something traumatic. But sometimes it can be a great thing that is happening in our lives that is causing us to go into a different direction. Or sometimes we're asked to leave a great thing behind. Disruption doesn't always have to be something that's negative. So I would love to hear if you could share, doesn't have to be positive, negative, negative, I'm not attached. I really just wanted to highlight that. But I'm just curious for you to have gone on to do all the great things that you've done. You have all of these employees, 50,000 clients around the world. You've been a New York Times bestselling author, yada, yada, yada. I ran through the bio. Tell us about a time that you actually had to overcome some level of disruption to get to that great bio. Well, I love the way you describe what a God shift is. And I never would have thought of that terminology, but I think it's a much better wrapper for the story I'm going to tell. <laughs> and uh, I was a, a young CEO clear back in the uh, late eighties. And we were in a high tech business growing really rapidly. And I'm an engineer. I like creating things and building things. And so we were building our next generation product, but the problem was it wasn't working. Mm. And uh, the project kept going on and on. It was three years and it was overdue and we had spent millions on it. And as a determined person, I was taught to never give up. I couldn't let go of that project. I just thought that was failure by admitting it was wrong. And I remember one February getting on my knees and praying. I said, God, we need more sales because we can't keep paying for this project. Yeah. Uh, and we're, we're really in getting in trouble financially. And I remember distinctly praying that way. And by the end of the month, our sales had dropped 30%. Mm. So here I am asking, I'm thinking the answer to my question is for increased sales. And God slaps me upside this head and said, you have to get rid of that project. And he forced me to do it. And I, uh, I call it embracing constraints. I thought it was a terrible thing I had to go through. And the end of the story is we had to cut our expenses and I had to lay off some, we're a family business. I knew these people, I knew their kids yeah. and I had to lay off people. And it was, it was a heart rending experience. Well, out of that, what happened was we could only uh, put five people on our on our project for creating a Windows version of our product. This was back before Windows was here. We could only put a few people on this project because we uh, didn't have any money left. And our competitors had 100 people working on their Windows version. And I got the team together and I said, guys, this is all we've got and we need a new product in two years. I'm sorry I squandered all that money and time. And um, because they only had five people, they figured out a way of building software that was different. Mm -hmm. And they bought off-the-shelf components. And we built a whole complete new system in two years, shipped it within 30 days of our competitor who had 100 people working on it. And our business grew 600% in the next eight years. Wow. And I could not understand that God shift, that moment you're, you're describing and the moment, it looked like an utter disaster. Uh, but 
well, your faith in God is tested then. You're saying, okay, God, uh, either you are right or my feelings are right. And, and what he showed me was, I know better than you do. Just trust me. And he forced me onto a path that was a hundred times better, but I could not see it. Say that again, Gary. Either you are right or my what is right? Yes. Either my feelings are right or God is right. And, uh, of course, we know the answer to that. But in the midst of the storm, that God shift feels like you're being torn apart. And then our faith now helps you bridge that, you know. So is it safe to say that God didn't answer your prayer either the way you thought he would or the way you wanted him to? But was it the answer? Was it the right answer? He answered it, but not at all the way I was asking. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that there's a lesson in that, that, you know, God always answers our prayers. He always, you know, people are like, oh, I just don't think God hears me. I don't think I'm hearing from God. No, God all, all, is always listening and he's always answering. He just doesn't always answer it in the way that we would want him to answer it or that he thinks he should answer it. But so often we're not privy to that information until it becomes hindsight, <laughs> right? That's so right. I I love how you said, you know, like when our faith in God is tested, because sometimes it's like, I don't immediately recognize Mm -hmm. that this is a good answer and it's the most appropriate answer until I get way on the other side of that. So what did you learn during all this? Well, I learned to be, to not let my emotions drive my reaction. And, you know, I think to your God shift point, um, I mentioned in in the book I just wrote, embracing constraints, you know, what we think of as constraints really push us in a different direction. And so if we think of constraints as something that makes us angry and it's wrong, then we stew in it. If we accept the constraints as something given from God, then we step back and say, well, maybe he's trying to show me something I don't see. And your whole attitude shifts, your mindset shifts. Yeah. And, you know, you see, so I, I feel bad when I see people going through life as a victim, right? They, they see everything as everybody's against me instead of embracing, okay, I'm here right now. I'm trusting God that I'm here for a reason. How do I go to the next step? Yeah. I, you say that it makes you sad. It, it angers me, <laughs> you know? <laughs> It flat out angers me when people are, I say this all the time, when people are allowing what happened to them 40 years ago to still keep them stuck. And it's not because it diminishes the magnitude of what occurred, but it's the fact that they never make the choice to access the tools and resources that are made available to almost anyone, especially in the United States to be able to heal and move past it, figure out what was I supposed to learn? How do I use it to move forward? And then 40 years later, it's still bothering them just like it did on day 40. It saddens you, but it it angers me because I'm like, I don't believe that this is the way that God wants us to be. And if we're believers, does he even somewhat feel disrespected? That we, we discount him enough to be like, my goodness, I'm still letting this keep me down, you know? Yeah, I, I get, I do too. I too get angry. And, but I, if I think about it very long, I think they don't know any better and it's sad. Oftentimes we uh, don't. And they're, yeah. they're trapped. 
They really are trapped. When you're a slave to something that has happened decades ago, you are in chains Yeah. on that thing. It's gotcha. What, in your experience, Gary, what are some of the other common barriers that you've seen? Because you're a testament. I'm a testament. A lot of the people that I've interviewed in 100 plus episodes are testaments to despite what happens in our lives, it can be used as a tool to develop us and move us forward if we make the choice to do so and get the help we need. What are some of other than just flat out being stuck and really not really knowing what to do or where to turn? What do you see are some of the common barriers that really prevent people from being able to take disruption and use it as a tool to better their lives? Uh, I've got another story. Uh, once, one time we had a, uh, when we were uh, at several hundred people, like you talked about earlier, and I had um, uh, one of my direct reports tell me that someone in that in that division was getting fired. This individual was two, two three layers below me and is not somebody I'd even met uh, or knew who he was. And I said, well, what, what did we do? What, I mean, firing somebody is a last resort. And I said, what really went on here? And she relayed his behaviors. And um, I said, did we do everything we could to correct these things? And she went through. And, I, and we had treated the process with respect and right. But I, I contacted that guy and I said, you know, you and I haven't had any interaction and nothing, nothing um, is going to change the decision here. but." Mm-hmm would you be willing to meet with me? And he said, yes. And when he walked in the door, I asked him, I said, do you trust me? And uh, he said, um, yes. And I said, if you know, if you don't trust me, there's no point in having the meeting because I, I want to say some things that I have no other motive but to help you. Right. But if you can't trust me, you don't, I mean, I wouldn't listen to somebody I didn't trust. And so I was saying to him, and he said, no, I, I do trust you. And so I went through carefully the things that other people had said. I talked to three or four people that gave me the same report about his attitude, how he treated people and berated them, and just such a negative force in our organization. And I said, this is the way you come across. And he started crying. Mm. And he said, nobody's ever told me that. And wow. I said, no, that's not true. You have been told multiple times this, but you couldn't receive it. So that's the tip. I To your question, um, disruption in life, you have to be open to it. You have to, you know, if you're closed like he was, he couldn't be helped. Mm. And in this case, I think the only reason he was willing to listen to me and not his supervisors was that I had no agenda. There was nothing for me to gain by talking to him. In fact, it took some of my time. Yeah. He was going to leave the organization anyway. So he was no quote value to me, but he was valued to me as a person. Correct. And, and uh, that's the speak the truth in love uh, model. And so, you know, when you have these God shift moments, sometimes you have to step back and say, am I open mm. to l- learning the truth here? Or am I just going to look at it my way or the highway? <laughs> if I was a betting girl and I'm not, I would bet that the average person 
believes that they are open. Most people are always say like, oh, I'm willing, you know, I'm open to whatever feedback you have. I can, I can take constructive criticism. You know, if there's something that you see that I can improve, like, I believe that the average person believes that they're open. How can we tell what are some of the signs that we really are open or we're not open to be? I think that's a really good question. That's an insightful question because if we you know, if we're deceived, by definition, we don't know it, right? If we're deceived, we just can't see it. And, I, you know, the only thing I know is to have friends that you give permission to tell you the truth. Yes. And it's back to that trust thing. But, you know, about the time I blow up at my wife, she 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 will see something that, about the way I'm, I'm colorblind. And she'll tell me something about the way I'm dressed. And I, And if I blow up at her... Uh, she won't keep telling me, right? And I don't want to go out and look where you know wear purple with green uh, or whatever. And so I, I'm not giving you a very good answer, but um, you know we can kill the uh, the golden goose of truth if we overreact. And so I guess anger maybe is the the red the sign that you're not open. I, I think anger, and also to your point. When you, when you told the gentleman that you were speaking with, like, yes, you have been told this before. You just haven't been open to it. If you're able to recognize that you keep being told the same thing more than once, that probably means that you're not open to it because either a, you're not open to it, or you haven't made the, the decision to be committed enough to make the change. Because my grandmother, bless her heart, used to always say, everybody ain't lying. So if you hear the same thing more than once or twice, there's got to be some truth to it because there's no way everybody's lying. <laughs> you know, that that's really a good insight. And now that you say it, I, I can see times we have used that technique where somebody couldn't see and you interview two or three people, get the story and then bring them in and say, you know, if one person says it, it's a disagreement between you and them. Yeah. But when you hear the second and then you hear the third you start to say, wait a minute. And so that your grandma's, she said it more colorfully, but uh, she had it right. (laughs) Well, Gary, we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we're going to share some tips and advice of how our listeners can begin to move their lives forward into a better direction when they find themselves in the middle of a God shift. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by the free guide, When God Says Shift. Inside, you'll discover the four shifts required to reveal God's plan to ditch disruption or delay and get his blessings faster. Head to GodSaysShift.com to access it now. All right, welcome back. So before the break, we were talking about How do we respond when we are finding ourselves in the middle of a God shift moment? And I personally, I do preach so I can kind of pick on us, think that a lot of preachers, a lot of churches have not really equipped believers to know how to respond when something happens in their lives. And I don't think it's done intentionally. I think it's because we put so much emphasis on how big God is that it makes us think that we're small. We put so much emphasis on how great God is and how powerful he is, and he is. He's greater and more powerful than any of us could ever begin to be. But I believe that sometimes 
it diminishes the the power and authority that we do has as children of Christ to be able to to go with his flow and shift our lives into a you know a more positive place. So what would you say Gary to someone that's listening to this episode that says I want to get on the other side of my God shift moment. I want to get on the other side of my disruption, but they're still really struggling to figure out how they can shift their lives. What would you tell them? What would be your tip? Well, I, I think there's a couple of things. The first of all, you you kind of alluded to renewing your mind in what Scripture says. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I I can't just read it once and be done. I I have to keep being reminded of of basic truths. And you know, so God says we're created in His image. You know, and so revisiting that when I think I can't do something. Oh, now, wait a minute. Who's wrong here? Is God wrong or is it me? Yeah. And so that's one thing. The other thing is it really does help to say out loud to other people, whether, whether it's in prayer, you can say it to God. Speaking out loud makes our brain work better. Uh, there's research that shows that, that speech, yeah. speech integrates our thinking. And I think Speaking to God is a way of doing that. I think speaking to a friend, and I cannot tell you how many times uh, I've I've tried to explain a problem I was having with somebody, and the insight came not from them saying anything. It was just them listening and maybe asking a question or two. So those are two things I would say. One is inward, which is go to the truth and remind yourself of basic truths, and the other one is engage yourself with someone else in your speaking. Yeah, that's so good. Our speech is so important. Like mm-hmm. most of us are very familiar with the scripture that says life and death is in the power of the tongue. We say it all the time. We say our words are powerful. There's even commercials on television that talk about how powerful our words are. Yet I encounter people multiple times every day that the words that are coming out of their mouths are not aligned with what it is that they say they want. It's not aligned with what it is that they're praying for. And so it's like they have a desire come out of their mouth in one sentence. And in the very next sentence, what they're saying almost cancels out what it is that they're believing for. And I believe that if we really want to, I started talking about it's God's power, but it's our authority. What you talked about in Genesis when it said, I'm going to make man in my image. And it goes on to say, so that we'll have dominion over the earth. Yes. And that domi- the word dominion is mentioned in the Bible 44 times. Mm. And so there's all these examples in the Bible that talks about the authority that we have been given by God. It tells us in John think 14 and 12, greater works than these shall you do in my name because I'm going to the father. So that means that the same authority that was given to Jesus was passed on to us. And I believe that one of the primary ways that we exercise that kingdom authority that was given to us by God is through our mouths. Uh, very well said. I, I I never knew that there were 44 occurrences of dominion. And, yeah. But, you know, I would add there's uh, the word um, overcome is used in the, in the New Testament a lot instead yeah. of dominion. And, um you know, even Revelation, the very last book, the seven messages to the churches, all of them finish with he who overcomes. So I'm with you. And, yeah. you know, just confronting each other would say, don't say you can't stop that. Stop yeah. that. 
yeah. there, there is something you can do. Yeah, well, I and, agree with you. Even though something is not your current reality, you still have to be very careful about speaking anything that you don't want more of. That's right. That's you right. Know? Speech is powerful. It's yeah. so powerful. Even something as simple as I can't be believing God for increase, but I'm complaining about the cost of inflation. Now, mm-hmm. it doesn't negate the fact that prices are a lot higher than they were even six, nine, 12 months ago. But I have to make sure that the words that I'm speaking are in alignment with what it is that I'm praying for and what it is that God promised me. And if yeah. we want to overcome disruption, we've got to watch our mouth. Uh, that's a good reminder for me. I'm glad you said that. <laughs> You're welcome. I'm glad I could help, Gary. <laughs> so, Gary, before we begin to wrap up, I want to, number one, see if you have any final words for our audience. And then I want to hear about this new book. Well, I, I actually, I'm going to combine those two. Okay. Um, uh, I was not planning on writing a book, and God, through some really obvious uh, uh, nudges, made it clear he wanted me to. And I began to discover why as I wrote the book. And I'm a, I love studying the Bible. I've been doing it for almost 50 years, and I love work. And as I began to write the work, one of the thi- write the book, one of the things that jumped out and is actually reflected in the title of the book, the book, the title is Built to Beat Chaos, um, uh, Leading Yourself and Leading Others with Biblical Principles. And here's here's the 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 gem I want that God gave me, which is that chaos. What we think of as all this stuff that's not going the way we want is not our problem. It's actually our purpose. Mm. And, and and he shows that actually in Genesis. And I never noticed it before. When you ask somebody, what's the first thing God created? If they're a Bible reader, they normally will say something like, uh, I think it was light, wasn't it? And I say, go back and look again. If you read carefully, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and it was void and without form. The very first thing he created was chaos. Yeah. Then he went on to say, I'm bringing order out of this chaos. And then he said, you are made to be just like me. And right there in Genesis 1, we have a charter that says we're built to beat chaos. We're designed. We're God-empowered. We have the authority to overcome the chaos in our life. And the way you do it is with purpose. Chaos flees. I have to just steal all of that and repeat it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Go for it. Do it. It's God's. It's not mine. And uh, I didn't really understand it. You know, here I, I go to go write the book, and he's talking to me as I'm writing this book. Yeah. He's writing it for me. (laughs) My, my, my. That is so good. We are built based on what God tells us to beat chaos. We are. We're designed to do that. We have a mind. We have an imagination. You know what I just thought about, Gary? And you probably have already had this revelation, so it's probably not profound to you. But the very first sentence of the Bible tells us that we're designed to beat chaos. But the bookend of that is that in Revelation, it constantly says, what about overcoming? We are, we are to overcome. We are right? to overcome. Yeah. That, that is just a powerful bookend. Yes. I'm starting off telling you before I tell you anything else that I'm designing you to beat chaos. 
And but then I remind you at the end over and over and over again that you are to overcome. Build on what you're saying. The Old Testament tells us that we cannot do it without him. Because the stories are failure after failure after failure after failure. And Jesus comes and says, you can beat chaos. Um, for greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. And that you're exactly right. The whole story of the Bible is a strategic plan of God building us to overcome chaos and, and teaching us how to do it. And Jesus Christ is the only way we can do it. Wow. I could literally stay on that all day. Like there is Amen. so much wealth in that. But I just hope, because obviously we're coming up towards the end of our time, but I hope that that is profound for everyone that is listening, that the, that the God in heaven <laughs> was strategic enough to start with telling us that we were built to, bake, to, to beat chaos. And he reminded us multiple times before he bid us farewell of the book Amen. that we are to overcome. Yeah. Wow. Well, Gary, where, how can they find you on social media? Oh, I'm on LinkedIn, Gary Harpst, um, and I'm at um, Twitter, Lead First, at, it's at Lead First, and then uh, my, my website's probably as good a place as any. Just go to leadfirst.ai. Okay, perfect. And what's the name of the book again? Is Built to Beat Chaos, uh, Biblical Wisdom for Leading Yourself and Others. And how can they get that? That's at Amazon or any of the other major book outlets. Okay, perfect. And so if someone is just as enthralled with you as I am, and they want to take things further with you, is that where you would recommend they start us with the book? Uh, absolutely. Yes. Okay, perfect. Well, I'm going to make sure that the link to find you and to follow you and to get the book is in the show notes. So all they have to do is click on it and it will take them straight to it. So Gary, thank you. This is a great book into my day as well, because it is now seven o'clock PM um, Central Standard Time. And this is my last business thing of the day, if you will. And so I thank you. I appreciate you. That is such a profound revelation that I am going to sit with and I am going to really think about how, how we should better be applying that to our lives. So I appreciate you being here. I hope that everyone else has been as blessed by this as I have. Everyone share, share, share because everybody is going through some form of chaos. My God in heaven, at the time of this recording, our world seems like it's nothing but chaos every single day. And so share, share, share this far and wide. Everyone, I pray that you will go back and listen to previous episodes and future episodes of A God Shift. Everyone have a great day. Bye-bye. You, Shana. I want to thank you for listening to the God Shift podcast. If you have enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe and leave a review. And remember to put God first and everything will fall into place.